0: Gesundheit with Jacobus, Health Talk Radio, integrating allopathic and all-natural medicine one show at a time. Here is your host, Jacobus Holloway. Good morning, everybody. I had to grab the phone, the microphone to me. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's nice to be with you. And Mary Ellen Mounds is my guest this morning. She is the founder of the Age of Montessori school, which is a teaching school for people who want to know more about the Montessori way of training and teaching. And uh, we're going to talk about that today, but let me tell you a few other things. First of all, welcome to the show. We talk with experts in the field of health, healing and healthy lifestyles. Today we're talking about education, about a great history, a great story, and how that can help children of all ages to become better. And whatever that means, Mary Ellen Mounds is going to tell us about that. want we'll to let you know that when we talk about different health topics, uh, please, it's all about education, information, and some entertainment. Uh, we're never never here to say this is the only way. Uh, so please educate yourself further. Talk to the guest after the show. Or if you want to learn more about it, find some information in books and magazines. Go on, Go to the library. Go on the internet. Just find out more if this interests you. So it is absolutely a joy to be here today. And uh, I tell you that um, somebody recommended me to talk to Mary Ellen. And Mary Ellen and I have known each other for many years, but never in the capacity that we are uh, sitting over here right now today to talk about uh, children, and talk about youth, and about education, and about the life and work of Maria Montessori. Uh, which is very, very interesting. I think uh, the, the the agenda that Mary Allen gave me is is very insightful and will cover a lot of wonderful topics that I'm sure that many of you will just enjoy listening to. So I hope you will do that. Let me tell you a little bit about Mary Allen. Uh, she has been a Montessori educator for more than forty years, teaching and training on five continents. She has a bachelor of science in child development and a master in education. In integrative and education. She is certified in Montessori early childhood, three to six years, elementary, six to 12, and as a master teacher trainer. Mary Allen has served on the National Montessori Accreditation Council for Teacher Education, the MACTE, Montessori Accreditation Council for Teacher Education. The, she's been on the board of directors of that and the Commission for Accreditation, and she's done that for 10 years. She is the mother of three grown children. She is also the author of two books, Learning to Read in Child's Play, as well as the book Nurturing Your Child's Inner Self. Mary Ellen Mounds is the founder of Age of Montessori, that officially started in 2011. She wrote and directed the programs of teacher education for early childhood and elementary teachers. Now, to get a hold of the website, write down the website, ageofmontessori.org, ageofmontessori.org, and the telephone number to get a hold of her, you can call at 406-284-2160, 284-2160, and speak with the registrar Robert Warbeck. And uh, we all, many of you know Robert Warbeck from being on this radio station as well. And you can also send an email at Mary Ellen Mounds, M-A-U-N-Z, M-A-U-N-Z at gmail.com. Mary Ellen, absolute pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: It's different, (laughs) huh? Yes, it is. Well, you (laughs) are a talker. I know that. I mean, and I should say talk in a good way. You're a speaker, and you are a lecturer and educator, and so I I don't think that the microphones are really going to bother you much today.
1: I don't think so. (laughs) I've done a lot of radio shows in South America and Europe as well as uh, speaking, and I just love to take the message of Maria Montessori far and wide.
0: Well, I tell you that when I uh, was reading a little bit in preparation of the show, um, Maria Montessori was quite the woman. I mean, she was... uh, she was born in 1870, and she died in 1952, 52. I think. hmm And so, um, she actually lived in Amsterdam. Yes, finally, she did. Uh, yes. And
1: just recently, I was over there and went to her old office and home. It's kind mm. of a small museum, and spent a whole day reading in archives of some of her old documents. It was absolutely a wonderful day.
0: Wow. So... Um, Tell us a little bit about who is Maria Montessori, just that people have an understanding why there is, why there is a school system, technique, teaching technique named after this amazing
1: woman. Well, Maria Montessori, what, was a fighter from the time she was a child. Um, mm. She loved mathematics and she loved science. And in those days, those kinds of professions were not open to girls. That's true. And what she ended up doing was kind of jumping from the frying pan into the fire from wanting to be in a boy's technical school to becoming a doctor. I see. And she had to fight all the way to literally the stories go that she had to go to the Prime Minister of Italy and to the Pope hmm. to get permission to study medicine as a woman. Wow. So she became the first woman MD and surgeon in all of Italy. Wow. Yeah. So she, she fought for what she believed in.
0: Well I did see that she was only twenty six or twenty seven when she became a medical doctor. Yeah. yeah. That's so in yeah. in that short life where she her mother was a very well educated woman That's in tho- and th- even in those days that was very rare to have somebody uh, as a mu- uh, in that age we're talking you know whatever talk of she was born 1870 so before oh. then yeah. she was somebody who knew how to read and write and very well very yes. well educated and so she stimulated it in her own daughter mm-hmm. and uh, I think that made a, a had a big impact on her
1: Well, Montessori went on to have a career as a physician as a surgeon and she went back to school, she studied anthropology, she studied philosophy and psychology. She ended up, believe it or not, being the chairman of the of the School of Anthropology, the Department of Anthropology at the University of Rome, oh. as a, still a fairly young woman. So she was a highly respected academic. And um, at a certain point, she had been really studying the work of two of her predecessors, a man named Jean Itard and um, Sagan and Frenchman who had worked with children with handicaps, and she wanted to reproduce their work, and she wanted to have the opportunity to work with children with disabilities. So she had that opportunity um, and took a group of children who had very serious disabilities, mental disabilities of one kind or another, yeah. and she taught them through the use of materials with their hands. So if they were going to learn their letters, they would trace them with on sandpaper okay. if they were going to count they'd count real objects bottom line is after a year of working with these children she took them to sit for the rome state exams huh. and they outscored the normal children really really and so everybody was saying oh dr montessori what you did what you did and she just said wait wait What's wrong with the normal education that it's not bringing these normal kids up higher than what my kids can do? I see. And so from there was born this desire, I need to try this out, this simple technique of using your hands with normal children. Yes. And so finally that that opportunity arose in, in the beginning of 1907. She opened her first, she called it a children's house. She wanted all the furniture to be the level of the children, and she wanted them to, she wanted to, observe children. Instead of having an idea, oh, well, these children of this age, they need to have this, and they need to have this. Let's just sh- let them show me what they like, yes. what they gravitate to. Right. And so she created all these different materials, and the children who at first were completely illiterate and from very poverty-stricken homes um, were reading and writing and doing numbers I see. way beyond what she'd even anticipated.
0: And they probably uh, never felt that they were uh, working hard. Well, they're no, working, no. but there is a certain way that Montessori calls it The uh, children are working, right? Yeah. Or that children are. Well, uh,
1: they're working. And sh- she makes a really beautiful point that the thing that makes children happiest is their own self-development. And so they're engaged in these tasks Mm -hmm. that help them learn what spontaneously they're trying to get to anyway. Yes. And so, for for example, you know, how many of you, if your parents who are listening, have been out for a walk with your child, and the child wants to walk on the on the curb or wants to walk on the lines of the sidewalk? Yes. Well, that's a very natural process of wanting to coordinate movement, right. and, and th- those activities assist that development. So in Montessori classrooms, you see we have a big ellipse on the floor, painted or in some way applied to the floor, so children can do that walking Walk on the, the line. line whenever yeah. they want to, and uh-huh. it helps their coordination and their, their self-control. Mm-hmm. So it's all about what children spontaneously need and show us that they need. Yes, and it starts at any age. Yes, it does yeah it, it uh, there is a
0: certain system that children go into, and i uh, that we have that is not Montessori, but that we call the public school today, and um there are amazing amazing students coming that they, they go through the school, and we love to look at those children and say, "Wow, that's simply amazing and what a talent, and it gives me faith in the future, but we also see so many children that fall through the cracks mm-hmm. who just cannot handle. A 30 children classroom with one teacher. They mm-hmm. cannot handle the, the academics. They, they cannot handle reading. It, they don't read by looking at, they don't learn by, by reading as a group. They don't learn by reading as a, 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 on their own. They, they need to hear, listen. They need to touch and they cannot do any of that. And so when they do, they disturb the class and we put them on medication because they're creative and they are not with it, and so it is so sad to see the the large percentage of children that d- will never be able at a young age to make that developmental change and improvement, as we can see in Montessori, where children can read at three and four years old naturally.
1: Well, you know, you, Jacobus, in the United States now, and this is there's some a test every year that's that's they call it the uh, America's Report Card. Yeah. And these tests are given at the end of fourth grade, the end of eighth grade, and the end of twelfth grade in yeah. schools all over the country. Mm-hmm. In some neighborhoods in this country, 60% of our children are not learning to read. Wow. 60%. And so that, and I know, I have taught in lovely private schools. I have taught in the lowest of the low income in inner city Chicago, in um, an area of, 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 uh, Phoenix that was all Hispanic children. Mm-hmm. I have not found children I couldn't teach to read using, using m- our adaptation of Montessori system. Right. And so I, I have seen the failures. I have seen abject failures. Now, as you said, there are many children who they're going to learn no matter where you put them. I see. They've got the, the mindset for it. they've got the background, their parents have, you know, supported them, read to them, d- done different things that contribute to their being able to to handle these things. Mm-hmm. But then when children, interestingly enough, do you know how old a child is when he decides if he's going to make it in school or not? No. Six. Really? Middle of first grade. Huh. And that decision, this, this statistically, this decision is made based on whether they can read or not. So if they get through first grade and they are struggling with reading, they will have at some level, made up their mind, this is not for me, I see, and so it's so important that we take children and maria montessori i I think perhaps one of her greatest discoveries was that there are stages of development, whereas the development of the three to six child is very different from the the seven and eight year nine year old okay and she called this earlier period the absorbent mind, yes, yes. and so the children from really from conception. <clears throat> Excuse me, through age six are in this period where they absorb from the environment. Uh. So when you make a, a really rich environment and you give them things to do and you, you're not really teaching them as much as facilitating, showing them the materials that will help them develop. Mm-hmm. They can learn to read almost spontaneously. Oh, wow. If you put them, th- if you know the steps and the steps have to do with the sounds that mm-hmm. you hear in language, mm-hmm. then you associate those sounds with letters. Okay. You put those sounds together and you make words and then you eventually put those words together and make sentences there's a logic to it yes and when when things are done and the other part of that is you got mixed ages and so you might have a 3-year-old that can read and a 5-year-old who's just barely starting or struggling that's okay
2: yeah
1: we don't just because you're 5 doesn't mean that you could do 5-year-old things you can do developmentally where you are yes and that that
0: the other stuff will catch up.
1: The other stuff will catch up, and the, some children are so far ahead. Some children are so far behind, and those few that are right in the middle are the golden ones because mm. they're the ones who are going to make it in any classroom anywhere.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But mm-hmm. Um, w- the the fact that sixty percent of our children in any community in this country are not reading tells me that we're in abject failure when it comes to. And we're talking about basics. high school, right?
0: We're talking about high school children who don't know how to put a sentence together or. You know, and some I don't know what of that has to do with the new technology and the uh, the text messaging, and people have just they don't know anymore how it is to to write sentences or to write words the way the correct way.
1: Yeah, well, that's a whole other subject. You know, there's a but this has
0: been obviously what you're talking about is a study that was done. Of the work from Maria Montessori, she passed away in 1952. But these
1: studies are continuing to they be are, done. Yes, I want to share something that that our your listeners might be interested in knowing. Please, um, at risk children who are coming from poverty families who um, come from parents who are not highly educated, those children who do not participate in good quality early child education are 25 percent more likely to drop out of high school. more likely to become teen parents, 50% more likely to be placed in special education, and 60% more likely to never attend college. So when you establish children in their absorbent mind in what's called sensitive periods for learning, if you get them interested in learning and knowing that they know how to learn and they love to learn, you're setting them up for success in many realms of their life. Mm -hmm. So those early years are just so, so vitally important.
0: That's unreal. Uh, I know there are many listeners who are familiar with the Montessori method, and maybe you have been yourself to a Montessori school, and you you like to share what happened to you, how you felt, how that was, uh, what it has done for you. Uh, maybe you are a parent with children and thinking about Montessori school, or maybe you are a grandparent with uh, ch- grandchildren, and you say, "My goodness, I'm worried about my ch- my grandchild, and I want to understand more about it." Please call the sh- call the show today and uh, talk to us because this is exciting stuff. And otherwise, you can always call Montessori dot org, the Age of Montessori website uh dot org and uh, the number is 406 284 2160 that sounds like a manhattan number manhattan <laughs> it 284
1: no that's just what they gave us we're right here in really? town
0: 284 is manhattan and 285 i think is three forks interesting but yeah well i guess they're running out of numbers
1: supposedly. i guess
3: yeah
0: all right 284 uh 2160 good morning caller thanks for joining the program today you are on the air with mary ellen mounts what's your name please
4: yeah, Jacobus, this is Steve. Hey, Steve. You know, uh to show you just how far this country has fallen, you can Google the 1895 8th grade graduation test from Kansas. <laughs> and I will guarantee you, there are not many professors up here at this university that can pass that test.
1: Yeah. Steve, and I've seen that. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> what is it called? Yes. The 1895 what? It's the eighth grade graduation, uh, exam, right?
4: Yes, from, from Kansas, 1895. You were expected. Back in those days, you had to go back to the farm and work. And eighth grade was as far as you, you know, you had time to go yeah yeah but I mean, you didn't screw around, you had to understand proper English. I mean, I went to school a long time ago, as Jacobus might know, but <laughs> I've it, had and, that feeling, yeah, and eighth grade, we had a old English teacher. she was old Ben, so you know how old we're going back there, yeah Cobus. but yeah. anyway. I mean, we had to diagram sentences, we had to know all that stuff. And I thought, back then, why do I need to know this? Yeah. Well, as time has gone by, and you get into uh, dealing with law enforcement yeah. and lawyers, and you can understand why you need to write something to mean what it's, what you wanted to say yeah
0: steve i gotta run i i I love your call it's a great comment but there's a hard break coming up i gotta go thank you for calling steve thanks steve bye-bye mary ellen mounds will be right back i hope you stay with us all the way till 11 o'clock we'll be right back your connection with a dear friend of maria montessori who became a teacher herself is uh, Dr. Elizabeth Kaspari.
1: That's right. I was very, very blessed because I had taken my training many years ago through the AMI organization, and then I'd gone early childhood training and then elementary, and then I met a woman, sent me a letter... Had seen a brochure about our school and said, "I don't know your school, and I knew Maria Montessori. I would love to talk with you someday." Wow! And uh, so I called her up and invited her to come visit, and she ended up staying for becoming my literally my best friend for the next twenty two years. Really? And she was eighty at that time. So at she, the time, <laughs> she lived to be one hundred and two. No way! Yeah. Amazing, amazing woman. It
0: was uh, not that long, 10 years ago. Well, believe
1: it or not, she was born in 1899 and she passed away in 2002. So she spanned three centuries. (laughs) Wow. Wow. She was a lovely, lovely woman and she had actually been on a pilgrimage in India to visit some temples and study the world's religions. Oh. And, um, they had a stop before they went up into the Himalayas at a place where Maria Montessori was because Montessori had been invited to India to teach there. Okay. And she met Montessori. Then they went up into the mountains of Tibet. World War II was declared and they couldn't get home. I see. There were no civilian transportation. Yeah. So they ended up having to stay in India. As did Montessori. Yes. And so then for four years they ended up in the same little village, place called Cody Canal in southern India. And long story, but it's it's a wonderful story. And um Madame Kaspari, we called her Madame Kaspari because she was a lovely. She was French, French or was she also? Well, she Israel. was okay. Swiss, but she was from the French part of Switzerland. Okay. okay. And uh she had oh my gosh, she had a deep, deep heart. Felt understanding of Montessori. She had had a school of music where the children of the crowned heads of state of different parts of Europe came to her school. Huh. She gave it all up to go into Montessori. Wow. You know, she was so impressed with the work of Dr. Maria Montessori. And wow. so, anyway, she came and, and was really my mentor and trained me to be a master teacher and uh, introduced me to the joys of training adults, which is what now our 501c3 organization, Agent Montessori, we certify adults. <laughs> in early childhood and elementary teacher training for Montessori.
0: And that is something. Why did you decide to do that? Which I think is amazing to, to think about that concept. Let's train the teachers and parents who are interested instead of only working with the, with the, with their students. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the students, the children at this, at this yeah. point, because there's a lot of Montessori schools. There's quite a few Montessori schools in Bozeman, <laughs> which is awesome. Yes. And it's still difficult to get in.
1: Yes. Yes. Actually, do you know, Jehovah, there are more Montessori schools per capita in Bozeman than any place else in the world?
0: Well, I'm not surprised. I, I can probably name you five <laughs> yeah. that I know of. Yeah. I don't was, even know how many there are yeah. right now. But well, there's
1: about 21 here 21. in Bozeman <laughs> and a couple more over in Livingston. Um, it's, and I think it's because we've been training in this area for so many years, and people... Bosman is a very open-minded community. Yeah. People really want something better for their children, and yes. that's that's where this desire for Montessori comes because, and they see the beautiful campuses, they see the loving hearts of the teachers who are willing to work with each child individually, yes. not just the class. Yes, and uh, it's kind of amazing.
0: The, the The interesting thing that I always thought with Montessori was the um, the equipment that is used, the mm-hmm. uh, the shapes. The colors, <laughs> um, a lot of wood. Um, it's almost ant- anthroposophy, mm-hmm. if I can call it that way. From Rudolf Steiner, a lot mm-hmm. of beautiful shapes, very mm-hmm. natural, mm-hmm. Uh, and not a lot of hard edges. Um, mm-hmm. uh, everything is made for the child, height wise, etc. It's uh, that was one thing that I, that I observed first, and just the 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 nice way of like you mentioned the circle time and um, and. Uh, how children move through the classroom. Maybe can you help our listeners a little bit to understand when you walk in a classroom, what will they see?
1: That's a really good question. Um, It's all about the structure of the environment. And Mm. the environment is based on four major areas for early childhood. The first is practical life. And that means everything from how to dust the shelves, how to sweep the floor, how to polish a table, how to tie Mm -hmm. your shoes, how to do buttons. And it's not that we want the children to clean the classroom for us, but we want them to develop those motor skills that help them coordinate movement and also become independent. So there's a lot of practical life. And that leads all the way up to taking care of plants, to serving lunch with each other as a group. It can be many, many kinds of things. Um then we have sensorial and i think what you were kind of describing there's there's um for example is how do you s- call it sensorial sensorial it's all about um helping the child differentiate the The material things in his world, um, for example there's a, a tray of geometric shapes, and the child will trace the triangle, the circle, the square, and he learns their names and then later on get into the the solids where he's looking at a sphere and a cube, and he says oh that 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 cube has squares on the sides right. and so he's making these connections and it's done by all hands on material that they feel, they touch, they identify, and this really helps the child. Identify what's in his world and create order. You know, there's a Russian psychologist by the name of Alexander Luria who made a very interesting observation. He said, until he did a lot of research in very, um, unsophisticated backward hill country places in Siberia, where there were villages where people were illiterate. They had no education at all, really, except, you know, what goes on in the village. Mm -hmm. And he discovered that until they learned the word, for example, circle. They could not tell you that a wheel and a dinner plate were, were circles. Okay. They they needed the word to create the order in their mind to classify things. Okay. So we do a lot of work also with language, giving children words based on their the things that they're experiencing in their environment. Yeah. And then we do a lot of work with um, simple hands-on math material. Um, I'll give you an example. You have a series of rods that go from 10 centimeters up to a meter, yeah. so 10, 20, 30, 40, and the child carries them end to end, so he feels that the length is growing, and then they alternate colors so they can count. One, one, two, one, two, three, and so forth. Yes. Just simple, simple materials that enable children to really grasp essential mm-hmm. concepts. It mm. It's kind of building blocks that are established through these materials. And what's really unique about Montessori, if you go to a traditional preschool, you might have you might walk in one morning, and the teacher set out some art materials on one pay on one table, and math manipulatives on another table, and children kind of rotate through. But in Montessori, the children come in, and we give them a big welcome, yeah. and we maybe sing some songs, and then we, over little time, we introduce them to the concept of free will. Yeah. You can choose whatever you'd like to choose after you've been shown how to use it. Okay. So when children come in in the morning, they're free to do any lesson they want. Yes, and. That what? seems
0: awkward to people who say a child has to be in school at this time to yeah. sit on the benches yeah. and they, uh, they listen, be yeah. quiet, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: It's very different. <laughs> Only speak it's, when
0: spoken to. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And otherwise be quiet. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So Montessori doesn't operate on those principles at all. And yeah. what's really amazing is that uh, quietness develops and children get quietness develops. Yes. Ah. Over time. And uh-huh. children are very much interested in the work that they get to choose themselves. And the other thing that's really remarkable, if you ever get a chance to visit a Montessori classroom and you have not done so, i have uh, it's worth making phone calls and making appointments just to go see. But the bottom line is that when children are allowed to stay with something, you might have a child working with those mathematical rods from 1 to 10 for an hour.
0: When they're done, they're done.
1: They're When they're done, they're done. But they might repeat it and repeat it and yes. repeat it. And we say, well, why? And w- we don't know. And we don't e- really need to know. But we see that somehow something's consolidating in the mind of the child. And that repetition allows him the peace to pursue it until he's done. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have another funny story to tell you about. No, that's really amazing. Yeah, about a little girl who was four years old. And... uh her mother used bobby pins in her hair. And so the little girl went into the bathroom one morning and saw her mother's bowl of bobby pins. And she threw them on the floor. And the mother's first instinct was to take her hand and slap it and say, you put those back right now. Many mothers and fathers would do that. But this mother had just read a book by Maria Montessori and said, maybe I better just see what she's going to do. So this little girl, Tanya, starts to pick up the bobby pins T- take your first your thumb and your first two fingers. Yes. It's the fingers you use when you hold a pencil, right? Yes. So her brain was giving her the message, it's time to really coordinate those fingers. Okay. Anyway, so she picks up the bobby pins one by one and puts them back in the bowl, dumps it out again, repeats it, dumps it out again, <laughs> repeats it four times. And then she put the bobby pin bowl back on the sink, kissed her mommy goodbye, and went to play. Well, every day for the next two weeks, the little girl came in like a ritual and did the exact same thing. Poured out the bobby pins, picked them up, poured them out, picked them up, Yeah. and all of a sudden, one day, she didn't come anymore. And whatever, this was an example of what Maria Montessori would call the sensitive period. And by the mother just letting her do it over and over again until she was inwardly satisfied, she had developed now this... This skill of coordination of those fingers that would eventually hold the pencil, nice. her brain had been looking for something that corresponded to what she needed to do internally, and she found it in the bobby pins. Ah. And so sometimes we see our children in, in our homes, in our classrooms, doing things that seem, I don't know why they're doing that. Right. It doesn't really matter why. Yeah. But they're, they're obviously doing it because it meets a need. Yes
0: if you uh, if you don't know what you're looking at and you walk in a classroom you think it is very strange <laughs> because there is animals there's fish there is uh, it could be some uh, whatever but there is there is all these objects and some of it is literally just stuff that we use on a daily basis sure. but they're all projects and uh also I, I w- in one of the schools that i was uh, for my granddaughter in medford uh was that um There's a little mat, and they roll out the mat, and Mm -hmm. they put the project on. That's right. And then the teacher may sit with them and observe and see if there's any questions, right? And then she just does whatever she is doing with that. And the teacher usually, uh, and like you said, the teacher may help you the first time, and that's why the the, the several teachers in the classroom, they will know that the child is the first time he or she is going to do that. And they say, let me explain to you how this one works. And then they show it. And then the child does it and they may have to repeat that a couple times before they leave the child alone. Is that correct? That's
1: correct. And maybe you show a child how to do something. Yeah. And then you see that they're just doing it wildly incorrectly. So uh-huh. then what do you do? What do you do? As a Montessori teacher, I observe, I take a little note in my I usually have a little notebook with me, a piece of paper strapped around my head or some, you know, yeah, some yeah, way yeah. around my neck. And uh I may Just note that the child needs a new presentation on that, or I may go over and say, oh, I see you're doing this. May I have a turn with you? And then you represent it. So in Montessori, we teach by teaching, not by correcting. I see. That's a huge, huge difference. In education, a child is takes a test, gets red marks, checks for everything he's got wrong, and he's many times humiliated. And feels like, I can't do this, I failed.
0: So correction would say would be, you do this wrong, let me show you how to do it right. We don't
1: even tell them they're doing it wrong. Okay,
0: but that's what you say, you we don't just correct? Say,
1: oh, no, we don't correct at all. We just, we simply do it again.
0: But what, give us an example of what correction would be in a situation like that. Well,
1: I'll give you a, my favorite ones, okay? You okay. mentioned the little mats that children roll out on the floor to put their work on. Yeah. Sometimes children will... Forget to put it back or whatever. And we have a lesson on how we walk around the mat. We never walk on anybody's work mat because that's their space. Yeah. So let's say you, you come to class one morning and you're kind of oblivious and you walk right across the work rug. Okay. Okay. So yeah. you've just made a big mistake. You violated one of the classroom rules. Okay. So rather than say anything to you right then, maybe an hour later when we're at circle time or maybe in the tomorrow morning, I'll say, Hey, group, let's, you know, my whole class, let's have a lesson on how we walk around the work rugs. And then I'll demonstrate how we walk around the work rugs. And I say, Jacobus, would you come and show us how we walk around the work rug? And so I've just made you a hero instead of the villain of making a mistake the day before. I see. So it's it's a matter of we don't have to jump in and correct everything just this minute, but we have to note that there's something that needs some some further work. So as a teacher, I accept accountability. If the child's not doing it right, it means I need to present it again. Yes. Doesn't mean that the child's not dumb or whatever. It just means I didn't present it enough, clearly enough, enough times.
0: Right. Huh. So, wow.
1: It's really about the dignity of the child.
0: It is. It is. I I, I can understand why people would say, um, You have to show them what's right and wrong, because once they enter the world, they they have to know what's right and wrong.
1: And they get it. Believe me, they get it. I think so, too. And there are times, obviously, if a child is being destructive, if the child is being very disturbing, you're going to stop it. And you're going to do it kindly, but you're going to say, that's not acceptable. let's, Let's go. You try to get them doing something else. But we draw lines. But I'm talking about with academic areas where a child just simply doesn't know how to do it yet. Yes. Instead of telling him he's wrong, you just simply show him how to do it right.
0: Huh. Folks, Mary Ellen Mounts is with me today on the program. Uh, she is the founder of The Age of Montessori, which is an educational school for those who want to know more about the Montessori, Maria Montessori method of education. And uh, the telephone number of the studio today here on Gesundheit with Jacobus is 522 talk If you would rather send me a text and not disturb the conversation, you can do so as well, 266-7617, 266-7617. If you would like to get a hold of the Age of Montessori, there are different ways you can do it. You can go to ageofmontessori.org, and uh, you can also call them at 406-284-2160 four six, 4, 284 2160 and uh, you can find more information there as well. So um what I what I want to ask you Mary Allen is um I want to come back to this point about doing things continuously that also shows that every child has their own speed yes. and 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 as a teacher you want to be aware of that you say you take some notes Either mental notes or you write them down on a piece of paper. Um, are you still keeping track of this child, of of every child, to make sure that? I mean, I don't know how you do that then, but at the end of the the row, at the end of the row, let's say at the end of eighth grade or so, they all should know. They all have a certain basis of knowledge.
1: Absolutely. That absolutely. Right. We we have there are some electronic and and hard copy ways of keeping records that are used in Montessori schools all over the world. And bottom line, every year the president of the United States designates the three top performing high schools in the country. Okay. A couple of years ago it was a Montessori high school that came in second. Wow. So Montessori brings academic results when And obviously not every school is as successful as others. You have to really, as a mom, as a dad, as a grandparent, you need to go in and observe the class and feel like, yeah, I like this school, I like these teachers, the children are, are seeming to be joyful and working hard. But the bottom line is that the academics are far more rigorous in Montessori classrooms than they are in traditional. We, we teach a lot more. Um, the gentleman who called in, Steve was talking about uh, sentence diagramming, interestingly enough, kids who are in sixth, seventh, eighth grade who really struggle with grammar, it's because they miss the sensitive period for grammar. Do you know what? Children who are eight years old eat it up. They learn all about the functions of the parts of speech. They learn basic diagramming. It's very easy when you get children at the right age. So that goes back to Montessori's ideas of stages of development. She, through literally a hundred years of her observation and Montessori and since that time have really developed a body of understanding of what's the right, ripe time for children to want to learn certain things. And if you give them the materials to do it, then it's easy. Hmm.
0: At times you see in, in school these days that there are children who skip grades. Mm-hmm. How does that work in Montessori?
1: Well, you have... A, Montessori is basically divided into three age, uh, three year age spans. Mm-hmm. So, um, lower elementary, for example, after children finished early childhood is uh, first, second, and third grade. And so you can have a child who is in first grade but operating a third or fourth grade level, and you might have a child in second grade who's just barely in a first grade level, and you can meet all their needs because the materials are designed and the training is designed so that you understand what the scope of things you can do with these different materials are. And I'll give you an example of of quite an amazing example. It was first year i just come back from Bergamo, Italy, Mm -hmm. teaching my first year of elementary in Bethesda, Maryland. Yeah. Had a little boy whose name was Jimmy. Jimmy was six years old. And I could see immediately that he was a very unusual, unique boy. And his parents came in for an appointment to tell me a little bit about him, which I like to do with all the parents. Yeah. He was attending Johns Hopkins University part-time wow. in physics. Wow. And he was six. He, was, <laughs> he had been identified <laughs> as the number one child prodigy in the world— for math and physics and science. And his parents wanted him to be in a Montessori classroom, so he had had some part of his life that was just normal with kids. Yeah. But he was amazing. Like one day we have puzzle maps, a puzzle map of the continents, and each continent, every country is a puzzle piece. So he poured out all of them on the floor one morning. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my God, Jimmy is not destructive. What's going on here? And I watched as he started putting all this together. He says, oh, Mrs. Mons, it's okay. It's Gondwana land. It's one to what? Gondwana land, the, the <laughs> early supercontinent. I, oh, okay. <laughs> and he's, you know, he's six. Yeah. Um, but you can accommodate the needs of a wide variety of children in your classroom, but it does require a great deal of skill of observing and record keeping, and making sure that when you see a child getting tired of one lesson, you're right there to give him the next one.
0: That is something. Yeah. I mean, indeed, how do you, it it could almost be intimidating as a teacher to be with a child that is so super smart and so intellectual, but that doesn't mean they have all the skills uh, mastered, right? So he may spend a lot more time on some other uh, work. Let's call it that way. But he, the 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 physics and the math is not a challenge for him.
1: My husband and I were co-teaching. My husband was a research chemist before he became a Montessori teacher. Yeah. And so he was doing all these experiments with Jimmy. And then I Jimmy struggled with reading. Yeah, believe yeah. it or not. Yeah, yeah. Um, the grammar part of reading, although yeah. he he could read college physics textbooks from cover to cover on the weekend. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> it's, it's like we all have a kind of a profile yes. of our learning and you're right. It's not always the same with so every, at, yeah. every area.
0: So at the end, we all end up uh, at an area where we need to be. I yeah. think so. Yeah. I think so. Fantastic. What a, what an interesting story. Okay. Stay tuned, please. We'll be right back. Quick announcement. Um, my uh we we came back from medford oregon last night of yesterday afternoon because uh our son and his wife and our daughter-in-law and uh, two grandchildren are moving back to bozeman which is exciting they were gone for nine years and meanwhile we know that uh, our daughter rebecca who works at the at the store uh was pregnant of twin girls and uh so that those were calculated sometime in September, maybe early September. And yesterday, we are at the airport with the grandchildren. Just uh, we were going to take the grandchildren. They're taking the big truck, the U-Haul truck, today and uh, tomorrow to drive to Bozeman. And um, we got a call from Rebecca that her water broke. And so we realized, oops, it's going. And uh, so we found out uh, when we made it to Seattle that uh, they were on their way. The Bozeman nursery was filled, uh, was was full of children. They had a lot of children being born, also some premature. And so they told them, you guys are fine, even though the water broke, uh, go to Billings. And so they went to Billings. And when we were in Seattle, they were uh, close to Laurel. And they said, well, we're waiting. As soon as we make it to the hospital, they're going to take us right into the OR and she was going to have a C-section because one of the, the, the smallest child on the bottom was uh, Breach. And um, they said, we have to do a C-section. So she was aware of that. And she did have a C-section, but she was in line to to wait. So we thought, you know, by the time we get to Bozeman, they are probably born. But then we heard she was still in queue, so to say, uh, waiting her turn to go into the OR. And... Then about uh, 8.15 last night, we got a text at about 8.45. But in 8.15, we heard both babies were born, both girls were born. So we have two more grandchildren since last night. Uh, I was very close to calling Mary Ellen and say, I got to go to Billings. Uh, got to go check the grandchildren. But uh, I, I, we talked about it, and there are so many people flocking to Billings. We said, we'll go after the radio show. congratulations uh, yeah thank you (laughs) thank you very much it's so cute and i I was able to show you a couple pictures Uh, yeah one the little one is little i mean she is uh, three pounds seven ounces but super strong they were talking about grip they do like a grip test Mm -hmm. and 10 is the highest and the little one had a grip of 9.9 wow yeah (laughs) yeah she was just uh, so careful with handshakes with her um, but breathing fine. And the, the bigger one was five pound, 10 ounces and, um, had a little fluid in the lungs. So they put on a little oxygen mask and, uh, but they're both healthy, both strong. The, the big one had a grip of about eight. Okay. So the little she's one, she's a feisty <laughs> one. Yeah. So everybody's healthy. Uh, our daughter is healthy, uh, is good. Everybody's healthy. So we're just very, very happy, very grateful that everything went well.
1: Well, you know, my youngest child was very small, and we always teased that she was small but mighty, and she still is. <laughs>
0: She's small and mighty, eh? <laughs> yeah. You know, there's something special about uh, twins. They, oh, they yes. just. Uh, my, my, my niece had twins, and they're like two years old right now. And when they were just born and laying at home, they were always holding hands. They, they, <gasps> they lay next to each other in bed. They put they were so small, so they put them in the same bed, and they were just always holding hands. Wow. It does naturally and they do everything together it's a boy and a girl so I said uh, how was it how, how are they laying and they said uh, my my youngest daughter went over to she said I'm gonna go and so she was over there and she took a little
1: she took film, the pictures
0: little pictures and and so she said oh they're so cute and so they, but they have them right next to each other but I don't think they're laying in the same uh the the, the I the, what do you call it the intensive care unit for yeah, for children yes so I th- I'm sure that when they get home, they're going to be fine. So oh, yes. in any case, I just want to share that. <laughs> if I sound sleepy, it's because I didn't get a whole lot of sleep last night. But uh, <laughs> dude, after the show, we're going to go to Billings and find out more about him and look at him. Oh, yes. Ourselves. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Yes. Anyway, we got to go through the show. And it is so exciting to have uh, Mary Ellen Mounts with me. And I, I want to talk to you about the age of Montessori. Tell us a little bit more about uh, why, how did it come about, when did it come about. It is a nonprofit. It's C 3 uh, mm-hmm. uh, federally accredited teacher preparation for early childhood and elementary education. Tell us a little bit more about it.
1: Well, earlier we were talking about Elizabeth Kaspari and the great mentorship and training that she provided. I um, had been a Montessori teacher for many years, and then she came into my life and trained me to become a trainer. So it was a very rigorous train-the-trainer program that I went through. And I had trained some in the United States, and then I had this wonderful opportunity to train in St. Petersburg, Russia, which I did for about almost 10 years. Every summer, I'd go over there and live and give my training course there. And it just refreshed in me the sense that training was the most important way to get more children involved in montessori because i'm training teachers each of whom will have right, many right. years of of children that they what a teach a smart way
0: to do it well that's wow.
1: you know i started out as a political science major there was always this desire to to help and serve the world in some mm-hmm. way and i just came to realize that working with children was much more important because with with young children we can help them grow up to access their potential yeah it's harder with adults who are very locked in their ways in some ways and very dealing with their pains and so on and so forth yes. so working with children is just a, a magnificent way to really walk your talk you know we all have these ideals of how we want to serve anyway so I had done that for a number of years and I think um, I'd worked with the Macd organization the Montessori Accreditation Council for teacher education and I Realize that there are many people in many parts of the world who want to become Montessori teachers, but if there's no brick-and-mortar training in their town, they're Mm -hmm. out of luck. Mm -hmm. So I I had done some online studies myself, and I realized that I could create what we call a blended program. So our students study the philosophy, the psychology, the child development for about eight months online. Very interactive with the course mentors. They're reading. They're they're writing. They're doing uh, forums where they talk to each other. They're in Zoom conversations with the mentor and and the other fellow students. So it's very, very interactive. Then they come for a summer, what we call a residency, where they get to see myself or one of my faculty members present the material, how all these beautiful Montessori materials that we were mm-hmm. talking about earlier, mm-hmm. how they work, how you present them to children. Yeah. And then then that they do a student teaching for a full classroom year. And then only at that point do they get their full certification.
0: So the whole thing is two years, three
1: years? Some people, it's two years, but some people like to do the online training simultaneous with their internship. So it can be anywhere from one to two years. Yeah. Pretty intensive. It's very intensive. And, um, it is accredited with the uh, um, Montessori Accreditation Council for Teacher Education, which is the one unifying Montessori organization that has been uh, designated by the Department of Education to oversee Montessori teacher training in the United States. Yes, But we have students, we just got our 108th graduate through the door wow, last week. something. It's really wonderful. Wow. It's been just growing and growing. And now, of course, we have elementary training as well. Yeah. But um, I felt that this this blended training we have st- I've got two students right now in Latvia we've got one from um, Lebanon we've got one from Peru we've got students um, on almost every continent at different times in our organization mm. and as long as they can either come to us for that two two and a half three weeks summer or we go to some place that works for them and works for us we try to be really flexible to get people through this course. Of course, it would be course. nice
0: to have them come to the headquarters. Let's call it headquarters. Over here, because you have all the material, the whole setup, everything is ready for them. But we
1: just, for example, we also have a a training hub in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, at a beautiful school down there. And we have one in um, Durham, New Hampshire. So those people who are on the East Coast or who are in Europe can get to the East Coast easier than they can get to Bozeman. Yes. And... uh, but you know, it's real interesting when we started out, when we talked about our residency in Bozeman. People would say, "Bozeman, what's that? Where's that?" Yeah. And now they realize it's a vacation paradise. You know, you have to make your reservations yes. six months in advance if wow. you're going to stay here. Yeah. Uh, but we're really happy with the way it's grown.
0: Yes, it is. I'm sure, and and it it speaks around. You know, it's uh, people. And and I see, like we talked earlier, about Bozeman itself, Boesman and Livingston surroundings. Yeah. The amount of Montessori story school you said twenty-two, yeah—in just in Boseman alone, yeah. and a few in uh, in Livingston. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: It's I amazing. Mean, it,
0: and I I realize indeed how important this is—that uh, the the parents learn Montessori training, that they understand also when the child is at home, that they can assist the child in continuing education, let's call it that way, when they come out of school, that the parents understand what the child is going to try to tell them or when the child is working on a project that this is really important for them to go through the motions, that the parents uh, have a better understanding uh, of how that all this works.
1: On our website, we have a lot of um, blogs by teachers, by parents. We have a lot of information and articles that are uh, that are available there and archived. And we also have... Oh, more than a hundred webinars. Many of most of them are free, and they're on all kinds of Montessori topics. Plus, as you say, a person could actually take all of our online academic training just as a as a uh, information student. Mm-hmm. They pay a portion of the of the total cost, and yeah. then they get to just understand what it is that we're doing. And so many things, like for example, allowing children to make choices, yeah. control choices. Like on on Monday night, you get out. Well, tomorrow's Tuesday. You know, what do you think you might like to wear tomorrow? And say, well, you could wear this, this, or this. And let the child choose. And then you have it set out for morning. And then there's no battle royal in the morning over uh, what they're exactly. going to wear. You know, and there's simple things, very yeah. simple things. And for example, at Christmas time, you know, many times children get so many toys, they're so overwhelmed, they don't know what to do with all of it. So many parents have a, a shelf instead of a, a toy box, so a bookshelf. And you just have, you know five or six of their favorite toys out the rest of them put them up in a box in the in the closet and when the child seems to be done with this bring out some new ones yeah. we don't have to be in this consumer nightmare of being overwhelmed and not being able to choose and just jumping from one thing to another it's much better to have those few things that your child really does well and loves and have those available and make certain that you you know when you're when they're done they put it back when they're done they put it back. When they're done they put it back. <laughs> and if we if we that's the way we present lessons in our Montessori classroom. Part of the lesson is when we're finished we put it back and it's ready for the next child or if it's at home it's ready for tomorrow. Yeah. Or it's ready for your sister or whatever the case might be. But there's you you have ground rules but you make them very much personalized to your child and what your child needs. Mm-hmm.
0: So when we talk about what you do specifically it is available for anybody Uh, let's say, over the age of 18, I would say, right? Who wants to be a teacher, who wants to be involved in a child's life. Uh, But tell us a little bit about, as far as that is concerned, but also the ages that the study itself covers.
1: That's a really interesting question. You know, Maria Montessori was a very profound thinker. And people often asked her, what is education what? What's the definition of education? I see. And she gave us the most remarkable answer: it's help to life.
0: Help to life. Mm-hmm. Not help to live, but help to help life. To life. Yeah. And
1: that means we can take a mom who is pregnant and help her understand what's going on month by month with the fetus, with her child. We can help her understand the process of birth. That's Montessori. It's helping life. Then we have Montessori training for teachers who want to work with children birth to three. Okay. And we call that infant-toddler training. Yeah. Um, We're not offering that yet at Age of Montessori, but we're in the process of working on it. Then you can prepare teachers to work with children who are two and a half or three up to the age of six, and that's the early childhood program. Mm -hmm. And we train and certify in that. And most of the schools in Bozeman are early childhood.
3: Early childhood. Most of the Montessori
1: schools. But then there's also Montessori Elementary, and there's lower elementary of six to nine and upper elementary nine to 12. So our teacher training goes from from six all the way to 12. Mm.
0: Um, so, when you say six to nine, you're talking about six to ninth grade.
1: No, six to nine years old. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Just the, the lower ele- first three years of elementary school and the second years of elementary Okay. Yeah. Okay. But then there's some um, adolescent Montessori training. All right. And for middle school and high school. Uh-huh. And then there's adult education for Montessori, which is our teacher training programs. Uh-huh. And then, believe it or not, I, mm-hmm. I, I was invited to speak at an international Montessori um conference last summer in Prague and I was very honored to be able to go and of course it would be amazing but the day before the conference started there was a special day and that day was held by a woman named Anne now I'm not going to get her nat- last name right now anyway she had been doing investigations in applying the Montessori method to Alzheimer's patients so in, al- in Australia in is New that right and oh my gosh it's like we th- one of the Kind of the cardinal mm. rules of Montessori is everything you do for the child that he can do for himself is an obstacle to his development. I see. Isn't that interesting? Yes. And a lot of times children tantrum because we're doing something for them because we're in a rush and they wanted to do it themselves. So yeah. she's she was saying, well, let's apply that to older people. Wow. You know, think of an old folks home and the first thing you— see in your mind's eye the person goes in there and they get their food served and they lay in their bed and they get their beds made she said no everything you do for the uh, alzheimer's person that he can do for himself is an obstacle to his development so they get to cook their own food they get to make their own beds um she told us beautiful stories like an old gentleman who was in his 80s yeah he had been a potato farmer yeah And he he completely didn't remember anything about himself. Mm. But he remembered his young childhood. So they put a a, a plot outside where he could grow potatoes. He was, he's found himself again. And he started growing his potatoes and they take them into the kitchen and help wash them and get them ready to, to be prepared by the chefs. I mean, every person has something inside of them, even if they've forgotten a lot of things, that you can get them back. By by going to these activities, um, it was just remarkable to me. But it's again, it's just simply help to life.
0: When you took when you talk about a uh, Alzheimer person, many times you teach them th- something one day and they forget the next day, and mm-hmm. you have to start all over again. So mm-hmm. that doesn't matter. You just keep doing the same thing. Uh.
1: What they what they were saying is, for the most part, you go back to something they do remember. And you get them moving into that. And then they're more likely than than actually, not all of them, but many of them actually make progress with being able to hang on to things that are current. Okay. Um, She gave us another story and actually saw a video of this woman who was probably 94. And she grew up in a, a small town where her father ran a candy store. And so they allowed her to set up, or they set up for her, a little small candy store. And every afternoon from 3 to 4, she sold candy. Huh. And she actually got back the ability to make change, to talk to people about what they wanted for their choices. Huh. And she had not spoken for a couple of years before then. So, so you help them find that, that childhood self Wow, that's just really just remarkable. amazing, yes. Yeah, really amazing. I mean, it makes
0: total sense. And I sometimes I think, too, it is. it seems that as we get older and some people lose certain controls, it is like they're going back to being a baby, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. where they had to learn how to walk and where they had to learn to be to go to the bathroom and, yeah. you know, to take care of themselves. Yeah. and So many, just
1: like we have in a preschool, you might have absolutely. a picture of if you go into the bathroom, first you pull your pants down, then you do this, then you do that. You have those pictures in the bathroom for the adults so that they can follow that mm. sequence because they've forgotten. They mm. don't know how to do it. Mm.
0: The uh, 522-8255, 522-TALK is the number. I know we're coming close to a break, but one thing I really want to uh, share or uh, ask you about is... Maria Montessori was a very spiritual person. Maybe that's why she was born in Italy. <laughs> um, there was definitely something more about God and Jesus in, in, in Italy. Yeah, the people are there are very religious. But that, w- that was something that she really wanted to incorporate in her study, not uh, se about God, but bring the spirit, uh, the spiritual, out of the children. Let them, don't push it down, let it come out naturally. How do you, as a te- how does a teacher or you, as a teacher, bring that out of a child?
1: Well, I think a lot of it is is establishing just the absolute dignity of children and the respect for them in the classroom and allowing them to ask and say what they will. And um, a wonderful man, his name is Stephen Breyer. I believe he wrote an interesting uh, piece about, it's religion to give answers, but it's spiritual to ask questions. So we have to honor the questions that the children ask us, but maybe the answers that we give are up to the parents to give. Like a child will say, "Well, my grandma died. Where did she go?" Huh. Say, "Oh, well, that's a that's a really wonderful question. I bet you're so concerned about your grandma. Tell me about, you know, when did she pass away?" And you can yeah. talk to them, but you're not, as a teacher in a secular school, you're not going to give answers but you're going to respect the question. Hmm. And Montessori said basically that the spiritual preparation of the teacher was more important than the academic preparation. And what she was talking about— is so
0: powerful. It's very powerful.
1: And she was specifically talking about overcoming pride and anger. The pride being, I'm the adult, I know better than the child, I'm going to tell him what he needs to learn. And the anger is that we all have those little spots of our— Maybe pain that we internalize the way we were treated as children, and a child hits, touches that button, and we lash out. Yeah, and there's behind closed doors, we can say anything. I have seen teachers say outrageous things to children in classrooms where I've been observing, and it was because they did not have control over their own anger. So Montessori talks at length, and we we take that very seriously in our training course. And we have some books that the students read, the adult learners learn, read to work on their on their own psychology Wow I, I was a... I, I
0: like to talk more about it when we come back okay. after the break because to me it is an um, it's an essential part that I think it really isn't every child and it, 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 it the child naturally has an awe for life
1: absolutely
0: and it's not always helped on its path to nurture that. And I would like to know more about how the Montessori training helps in that.
1: Part of it is just beauty. (laughs) Surrounding them with beauty. Well, let's talk about beauty
0: then. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks. Mary Ellen Mounts, my guest. Uh, Please stay tuned. We're halfway through the show. We're going to be right back. Thanks for listening to This Morning. All well, right. you know, you're yes. talking
1: about that beautiful little song about Montessori kids. I Wasn't wanna, that fun? I, <laughs> wanna, I love that. But I want to tell you about three Montessori kids who have changed the way we live on Earth. Okay. Um, think of the company that, it's a little controversial these days, but has changed the way we compute. That's Google. Okay. You think about Amazon. Yes. Changed the way we buy. Hmm. And you think about Wikipedia change the way we find information and can share information ourselves. Really? Those are all founded by Montessori kids. Really? Yes, really.
0: Jeff Bezos is from one. Yep.
1: Yep. <laughs> God. So, the interesting thing, however brutal they may be as yes. businessmen, they they basically all said pretty That's much the amazing. same thing. Yeah, we they learned the to think creatively outside the box by being in Montessori schools. Wow. And I think that's a pretty interesting tribute.
0: Yes, it is.
1: Julia Child was a Montessori child. Really? Yeah. Um, just so many, so many. Yo, yo, Ma, was it Gabriel oh, wow. Marquez? Um, winner of uh, Joshua Bell, you know, wonderful musicians.
0: Johnny Carson would call him Yo Mama. <laughs> <laughs> Just for cakes and giggles, uh, we have a we have a caller on hold waiting. Good morning, caller. Thanks for joining the program today. What's your name? How can we help you, please?
3: Yeah, this is David. And I'd hi, like David. To, like to congratulate you, Grandpa. Oh, <laughs>
0: thank you very much. Thank First you. All, I appreciate that. Thank you.
3: They, all three of my children have been to Montessori schools, including my eldest, who worked for you. Yes. I think that partly accounts for his uh, amazing genius. And <laughs> yes. I agree. For lifelong learning. In fact, he desires to be a teacher too.
1: Wow. That's um, great.
3: My question, since Montessori developed her method, you know, over a hundred years ago, and there have been other wonderful developments in education, including Glenn "Teach um, teacher baby to read book and flashcard memorization methods and Makoto Shishida's whole brain or right brain learning methods. How does, Montessori, in general, try to incorporate other newer developments and and educational technologies, if you'd like to call it that, to oh, yeah. further kind of the whole brain approach and the kind of the natural way that children learn. Because I think we both have a common teacher,
0: <laughs> yeah. all,
3: all three of us actually, and yes, you know, and then and also I'd like to ask about. A wonderful lady from Switzerland that you knew and my dad was very fond of. You know, and and her work in relation to Montessori because she brought she brought a tremendous mission to the West and to the United States. So anyway, that's my question.
0: Wow, interesting.
1: Great questions, David. And I think that When you're talking about both Doman and Shishida, they were very involved in the development of the right brain. And I happen to have studied both of those systems, and I got to know Dr. Shishida, a Japanese educator who was utilizing what many people would call right brain learning. And what he actually acknowledged is that when a child is in the absorbent mind in those first six years of life, and he's roaming around the classroom and doing these wonderful activities that he chooses to repeat, he's actually in his right brain. So there's a great give and take between the right and left brains. So, and I think Age of Montessori in particular is very open to integrating the other systems, everything from Reggio Emilia, just different systems that we know make sense, and they are not in any way in conflict with Montessori, so let's just talk about it, find the way that we can make everything work together. And I think, David, you didn't probably hear it earlier. We had some discussion about Elizabeth Kaspari, who was my best friend and, and mentor for 22 years from the time she was 80 till she was 102, and she was probably the most refined, educated messenger of Maria Montessori, of anybody I'd ever met, who really understood what Montessori was talking about in wow. very deep ways.
3: I apologize. Yeah, I, I didn't hear the entire program. Yeah. Also, what about the different Montessori, you know, avenues? And you mentioned, you briefly mentioned that there's one overarching one that, you know, governs kind of the approval of teachers, you know, how they're pr- approved, but... What are the differences between the two approaches or the two systems?
1: Well, basically, the, what you're talking about is this um, umbrella organization called MACDI, the Montessori Accreditation Council for Teacher mm-hmm. Education. All the different organizations, the Age of Montessori is an independent, the American Montessori Society, the AMI, which is Association Montessori Internationale, the Institute of Progressive Montessorians, all these different organizations <laughs> all come together and they have written basically a set of guidelines of what makes a a real Montessori school or Montessori training center. And so this now has been approved by the U.S. Department of Education. And in order to then get accredited through MACD, you have to do a self-study and go through a, a tremendous process of approval that lasts for seven years. So Age of Montessori is um, MACD-accredited for both early childhood and elementary. And in terms of the differences between the organizations, there's it's more fruitful to look at what we have in common because we all are guardians of the legacy of Maria Montessori, but you know, everything goes through the consciousness of the person who's speaking. So therefore, there are small differences of, oh, maybe they, they think this is more important than this, or they use a different term for this, but it's really all the same approach yes. to child development.
3: Well, thank you, Jacobus, and thank you, you know, for having your wonderful guest on today, who I've known for probably 40 years. And Man,
0: that's something. That's uh, awesome.
3: Your husband and you are a gift to the earth, and I'm so grateful that you went to Italy. were trained, you know, what, five decades ago?
1: No, not quite that long. <laughs> uh,
3: uh, Four. <laughs> it, okay. And, brought, and really inculcated it in our west, you know, in this area in Montana, and Twenty-two schools in Bozeman, I mean, that's probably more than the other, you know, public primary type schools. Oh,
0: that's very interesting.
1: Yeah, there are. I was given, Agent Montessori, my my colleague, Tani Kingston, and I were given an award by a, a local Freedom Foundation for the work that we were doing teaching children to be free. We were given this award at a ceremony that included the superintendent of Bozeman public schools, and they have nine schools and we have 22, so he was kind of in shock.
0: Yeah, that he was not really uh, recognizing that as being so uh, so successful. Yeah,
1: obviously, their schools are a lot bigger, and their their system sure. is a lot bigger. And Montessori, we'd love to have a bigger impact in the world, but it's growing. It's gaining traction all over the world. Mm-hmm.
3: And I, I don't want to hog things, but one final thing, since you this is this really into health, were there any, and maybe you discussed this and I missed it, but were there any recommendations from Maria Montessori specifically on diet, And how that impacts the brain and the children's health and learning abilities.
0: We haven't really talked about that, but I do know that that was in those days even a concern for her. Yeah, we'll we'll get to some nutrition
1: stuff a little bit later in the conversation. But yes, they didn't. You know, you have to realize that in her day, the brain was a black box. They didn't really understand. She intuited a lot. She understood a lot. But in terms of diet, in her books, she just talks about clean diet.
0: Hey, thank you. Well, thank you, David. All the best to you, and have a great weekend. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was a great call. Yes. More technical. I like that. That was really good. We have another caller who would like to weigh in. Good morning, caller. Thanks for joining us today. What's your name? How can we help you, please?
2: Good morning, Jukal. This is this Mary Bernardis. Mary so be Happy <laughs> Happy
0: birthday to you.
2: Well, thank you. A <laughs> birthday girl. I
0: got uh, the message last night. I haven't had a chance to... Check in with you yet? But happy, happy, happy birthday!
2: Oh, thank you. I'm 72, going on 27. I <laughs> 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 <You gotta laughs> love <laughs> it, <laughs> and I love children because they brighten up my day. And I do, I do menu right. evaluation for preschools, including three Montessori schools. Yeah. In case you're interested, but uh, the Montessori schools that I do the menu evaluations for, yes. to meet state requirements, um, uh, they only provide the snacks, and the children have to bring their own. Breakfast or lunch. Yes. And that worries me. And, you know, if they're getting the right foods, you're welcome to call me at 539 7751 if you need some nutrition education training for your staff or some menu evaluations because I still practice as a registered dietitian.
0: Yes, she does. And
2: I'm going to the annual conference in Washington, D.C. this October. All right. For the dietetic conference. So thank you for all you do. And children brighten up my day. And when our daughter was in special ed, our oldest daughter, Amy, I used to go into the schools and we traveled the world because my husband was in the Marine Corps and I did hands-on learning with the children so they can select healthy foods in their diet. Yeah. We used to walk That's the great. children down to the grocery store and they would weigh the apples in the bin and then each, we'd take the apples back to the classroom. Each child got their own apple. We cut it around the core and made a three-dimensional puzzle. Oh. That the children got to put the pieces back together.
3: Oh, we let wow. the core
2: out for several hours to talk about why I turned brown <laughs> and so they can understand the science. And of course, they got to eat the apples. Sometimes we made applesauce. We studied history behind Johnny Appleseed, so they oh, can incorporate, great. you know, math and science and history into food. Yeah, and make hands-on learning fun. That's oh. how our daughter Amy, who has fragile X syndrome, I'm glad I got her in the kitchen uh, cooking when she was two years old, and she lives independently in her own house. Yes,
3: So it's it important to get
2: your children. It's fun to get your children in the kitchen cooking food, so that when they grow up, they can have healthy meals and reading food
1: labels, okay? Yeah. Thank you. It's so Thank important. You, Mary. In a lot of Montessori classrooms, and I know when we had our school in California, we could always we had a garden all year long. We would we had a vegetable garden, and the children would grow the vegetables. They'd harvest the vegetables, they'd bring them in and wash them, and they we'd make soups and various dishes out of them. and so yeah, you know, yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say that one of the reasons why some of the schools don't serve meals is that the state licensing regulations are very tight in terms of food service, mm-hmm. and you have to have certain level of washer and, yeah, uh, right that has that. a certain temperature, and there's just many, many things that are beyond the scope of what some schools that can uh, meet. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's partly part, partly why.
2: Yeah, I understand. and We have our own vegetable garden. I'll be harvesting some more sugar snap peas today and green peas and, and lots of raspberries. So yeah. Let me know if anybody of you would like to come out and dig up some raspberry plants and the dorm and <laughs> and plant them in your area, okay? Oh, there
0: you go. Well, thanks, Mary. I hope you sure. have a wonderful birthday today.
2: Well, thank you. Happy <laughs> all birthday. All right. Thank I you for Amy's calling. My yeah. daughter Amy's coming out later. And on a funny note, she calls bananas her banana phone. She holds the banana <laughs> to her. And she talks into it to <laughs> in like a telephone. She's now 42, and she's still very active in Special Olympics. Wow. Well, so thanks again Great. for all you do.
0: Thank you. I bye appreciate bye. it, too. Bye-bye. You bye-bye.
2: Bye-bye.
0: right. Well, happy birthday to Mary de Bernardes. She's been listening for pretty much as long as the show has been going on. So Isn't it was that very great? Nice. Yes.
1: You got fans.
0: <laughs> I, I guess, yes. Well, at least regular listeners. I don't know their fans. <laughs> oh, boy. This is, uh, this is good stuff. And it was a great call. I do want to go back to where we left over in the last uh, half hour. We yeah. have a few more minutes to talk about that. The uh, spiritual component in Maria Montessori that – I think you mentioned it earlier, teaching... Uh, now, I don't know if I heard it on the on, on the video clip that you're talking about teaching from the inside out. Mm-hmm, Explain mm-hmm. that concept to mm-hmm. us, please.
1: Um, one of the textbooks that our, our adult learners read is called um, t- uh, Parenting from the Inside Out.
0: Parenting from the Inside um, Out.
1: I wrote the author a letter and suggested that a co-title could be Teaching from the Inside Out. But yeah. his whole... Uh, Premise here is that the when we're dealing with children, we're dealing with our own psychology, and that many times people react to children not out of the objective problem that the child is having, but out of their pain point that they've got unresolved, and so it's a process. Nobody's going to heal their their internal inner child wounds overnight, but we insist that our students pay attention to that aspect of their training. Yeah, and um, so that because. I know for myself, if I'm going to sign a diploma, I want to make certain that I could trust that person to go into a classroom. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, although we do some online work, we meet face-to-face with every student. So there's the authenticity and the integrity that I know that person, I know that person is going to hold it together Mm -hmm. in front of a group of children and being, being safe to be with a group of children. But I think that... Maria Montessori was a practicing Catholic in her earlier years. I think later when she went to India, she became very exposed to Eastern ideas. And uh, obviously, in some of her later writings, it's very clear that she was influenced by the Bhagavad Gita and and other teachings. But the bottom line is that she understood that if children have a need, we're accountable to fulfill it. And if a child has a spiritual need, a religious need, then we need to find ways to fill it. So she worked with a, a woman, a wonderful woman that I got a chance to spend quite a bit a lot of time with her name is Dr. Sophia Cavaletti and um, she developed the religious program mm. that utilizes Montessori principles. so it's mm. instead of being talked to there's things that children work with and for example, um, Montessori spoke a lot about the parables that that's a very easy way for children to get into a different state of mind right So you can have a little a little um, field with a fence around it and you have little wooden sheep and you have a shepherd and you act out the story that's in the Bible of the the Mm -hmm. parable of the good shepherd and the parable of the lost sheep. And then you just show them how to do it and you allow them to work with it as again, just as long and as many repetitions as they want. Yeah, it's been used in hospitals for terminally ill children. It's been used in monastery schools all over the country. It's been used in Hebrew schools, in Christian schools, in Buddhist schools, in Hindu schools, and in secular schools. Wow! And it's also used, obviously, by the, by many churches for their their specific yeah. um, catechism. or not that something? Wow! But it's a, a it's a whole program uh, of the spiritual development of children for people who are interested in that. It's a beautiful program. I was trained in it by Sophia yeah um, she has since passed away, but she was a a Hebrew scholar wonderful, wonderful woman.
0: Mm. Wow I think indeed that uh, in the in the simplicity often in the way that children do things, you know there is a depth to them that is. Uh, that is coming that comes out yeah. in that action in the way they look at you because when you look at a child's eyes like you mentioned in the very first segment is the children are just like a sponge they just want to absorb uh, absorb that, that that really young age 3 to 6 years old um, scientifically, Bruce Lipton in his work biology of oh, yeah, belief yeah. talks exactly about the zero to six year old and what that the brain is indeed completely a sponge and takes up everything and that's why what I see in these younger children when when you look in their eyes there is no anger there is they, they just look at you and they want to learn. It's almost like show me, show me, show me exactly. they follow your hands, uh, they follow your lips they, they 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 just try to imitate what you do. And I think, therefore, that there is such a purity in, in these children from the moment they're born. All you need to do is help them and observe and guide and, and show them when they're asking what, what can be done. And, and to me, that is a, really a deep concept that you can brush over and say, just, just do this way and just sit over there and just be quiet. And that is this. We
1: crush children that way.
0: We crush them.
1: Right. Well, you know, Madame Kaspari told the story of being with Montessori when uh, a woman came up and said, oh, Dr. Montessori, how do I teach religion to my child? And Montessori just looked at her and she says, you don't teach religion to children. You live it before them.
0: Right. You live it before them. That's true. So when you say that indeed you are the one signing the diplomas before you hand them out, you want to know that you can trust these people standing in front of a classroom.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I and think, they don't
1: even stand before the classroom they move among the children but it's it's the same it's the same yeah, difference I, I they're I behind that closed door and we want to make certain that these people know what they're doing and have a head on their shoulders See That's personally fine. I think
0: if anybody signs up for a school of training like that and is interested in Montessori and starts reading about it
1: oh, they, get so excited. they
0: must they must be completely uh like wow this is for me i need people with the- good hearts yes good hearts that's right and and people are willing to look at themselves yeah to work on themselves like we just talked about wow we'll be right back we have a call on hold who would okay. like to ask you a question good morning caller thanks for joining the show uh what's your name how can we help you please
5: this is joe hey please joe
0: Nice to hear yeah. your voice again.
5: I missed you yesterday at the store, but anyway. Well, I, I
0: I flew home uh, last night.
5: You, first of all, your grandchildren, the new ones, yeah, all of them, don't know how lucky they are <laughs> to have a grandfather like you.
0: Oh, thank you, because
5: Joe. I know the love in your heart. Thank now you. that lady that's on there, she's on the right track, hundred percent. My only words are these. Okay, you got to keep the government. You got to keep any religion. Uh, head of religion share all the religions but nobody control our program. Then number two, the diet, you just touched a little bit on it, in the public school system is destroying the capabilities of all those kids. Because why? It's the government again. And then number two, I'm gonna go back to the old saying My teacher, which I didn't understand at that time, my teacher, Ben Franklin, the training of a child begins before birth. Absolutely. Nutrition-wise, nutrition music that they listen to, yeah. the, and, and of course, going back in time, there was no drugs involved, maybe alcohol. But all these things today are destroying the youth. In Europe, and all of you know that, we had geniuses, the group that graduated college at the age of four and six. They were geniuses. They were born like that. But if you have the wrong teacher, if you have the wrong people in charge, you can destroy the potential of what's in the brain of that child. That's all I got to say. I I can't tell you enough about your program, Jacobus. You know that.
0: Thank you, Joe. All right? Yeah. Did you have a
5: a nice day? Did you also have a question for Mary Ellen? No. Just keep doing what you're doing. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you. That's it. Never give up.
1: (laughs) Never give up.
5: Don't forget, it's a battle. You you're trying to teach the kids. Then they go home and the father and mother, ah, what are you talking about? They yeah. don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, you know, they know what they're talking about. You just keep up the good work. Thank,
0: Thank you, old. Joe. Appreciate all right, my it. Friend. Okay, Take all care. the best. Bye bye. Well, that is a <laughs> message of a stimulating message from Joe Diaz. Well,
1: you know, Maria Montessori said the same thing Joe said. She was asked when do you say education begins? And her comment was nine months before they're born. Yes. So, you know, we have to know that we are communicating through our thoughts, our feelings, our diet, the nutrition, all of these things are affecting our unborn children and in our training course that we're working on for infants and toddlers, we're going to actually do a, a not only prenatal training yeah. but a preparation for conception training yes. because you got to get your diet straight, you got to get your psychology straight. Yeah. You know, there's was some really interesting research out of Yellow Springs, Ohio, a place okay. called the Fells Institute. This was several decades ago. The Fellows? Fels, F-E-L-S. 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 And uh, I, I'd i read this information, and I, it always stuck with me that woman who has difficulty in her birth and her first months as a mother, it often goes back to th- several factors. And the number one factor is the relationship between her and her significant other, the father yes. of the child. Yes, yes. Then the second one is her relationship with her mother. And, you know, the, the point was that Before you conceive, you've got to try to get things straight in your own head. Mm -hmm. And and what I always tell my students is that when you learn more and more about the importance of early childhood and the importance of how we work with our children and love them and support them, we often find ourselves angry at our parents and maybe angry at ourselves for what we wish we would have known. Yeah, you're right. And so I think part of the process of learning more about early childhood is forgiveness. You know, Mm. if we knew better, we would have done better. I see. And so we just have to give ourselves a break and take, for you example, you know, whatever you may have done with your children, you can do something better for your grandchildren. All of us are in that situation as we get older. Mm. But I wanted to go back to what I kind of think is probably the premier point that Maria Montessori brought out. And that is that our goal is to put the child in touch with his own inner teacher. And it is because that child has that inner teacher, that own inner sense of what he needs for his own development that they are free to make choices in the classroom with all these beautiful materials. Yes. It's not random. It's the child is going to those things. Like I told you the story of the, of the bobby pins. The child is going to what he needs. Yes. He could not tell you what he needs, but he sees it and he goes for it and he uses it just as long as he needs it.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And many times when children don't find something in their environment that meets their needs, they're fussy, they're unhappy, they fall into tantrums easily because somehow, somewhere, somehow, something is not being met within their developmental.
0: Do you sometimes think that uh, that more and more in education we're trying to understand the psychology of a child and we try to work on that psychology while the, the child has lives in its own world in those young years. and i I see with my granddaughter uh, because I observe her more. Um, but she you know she she may take a piece of paper and draw lines, but tell you a whole story about what she just put on paper because that was the reality for her. Mm-hmm. For me, it is just a bunch of pink lines with blue and you know, maybe yellow if she puts it in. It doesn't make any sense. There's no rhyme or reason for me in my adult linear thinking mind. And I I see that in these children that is, they live in their own world. And that teaches me again, that when you talk to them or you act around them, we have to be so careful and so sensitive to what they pick up on in our behavior. Well,
1: and that goes back to the stages of development and that we're so easily judging based on our adult way of looking at things, but that's not the world they live in. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're yeah. meeting their yes. needs at their level, and those needs, we have forgotten them. We don't know what it's like to live in the absorbent mind anymore. We're in the reasoning mind. You know, yeah. when a child hits about the age of six, mm-hmm. he shifts. He goes out of that absorbent mind, and he goes into the reasoning mind. And I'll give you the most classic example of the difference between those two. Okay. Okay. We grow up in a home speaking our mother tongue. We will never be able to speak another language with quite that same finesse as our mother tongue. Hmm. Maybe if our parents are bilingual and we learn both from growing up, that's fine. But as an adult, you try to learn a foreign language, you'll always have an accent. You'll always (laughs) struggle with the nuances of that language. Not me. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, that the absorbent mind takes it in as a whole. As in a reasoning mind, we have to memorize the vocabulary. Yeah, we have to yeah. memorize the cases of, 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 you know, the, it's very different process. It's a mm-hmm. different kind of learning. And if we put the value judgment that the child's not learning the way we think he should, it's because we don't understand. We don't understand right. that inner teacher and that absorbent mind at work. Right. And then when the children get in, we were talking earlier about that spiritual development and that, uh, that yeah, development yeah. of, of, I think a lot of it is just inherent dignity. You know, I'll, I'll give you kind of a funny story that speaks mm-hmm. to the dignity of children. Mm-hmm. Um, Montessori one time was, you know, observing. We all see this with children. They have their, in wintertime or whenever, they have their runny noses and this green goop's dripping out of their nose. And so the yeah. adult will come in, you know, with a tissue and just, you know, wipe it off and, you know, and... We don't even think about the fact that the child might feel a little humiliated.
3: Oh And so
1: one time she decided to give the children a lesson on how to use a handkerchief. Okay. Now in those days, they didn't have Kleenexes in those days. No, 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 days, so through handkerchiefs. Yeah. She had a nice handkerchief folded in her pocket. She brought it out. Mm-hmm. She simply showed the children how to wipe their nose and then just discreetly put the handkerchief back in their pocket. She said this little group of three, four, and five-year-olds applauded her really? after that lesson. They were so touched that somebody cared about their own self-care and their own dignity. And I, I was just so impressed by that story. Huh. wow. And, you know, we think that children need gold stars for doing the right thing. And she tells another story of going into a classroom where back in the old days, you know, if you were naughty, you'd have to wear a dunce cap. Oh, wow. And then if you were good, you got the gold star. So she sees oh. two little boys, one of whom has the gold star on his chest and the other <laughs> one with the dunce cap. And so she doesn't want to embarrass the boy with the dunce cap. And so he, she goes over to the little boy with the gold star and says, Oh, I see you've got this star. W- what did you do to earn this star? And he says, Oh, I was actually in trouble. We just traded. <laughs> I was
0: just thinking about that. They maybe traded. That is funny. <laughs>
1: Neither one of them cared. They didn't care about the rewards. They didn't care about the punishments. Yes. You know, like, go back into the child's mind. What does matter to them? Yes. You know, they want to please us. And that makes a great responsibility on us that we don't ask of them something that's not fair or that's not right. Mm. So we're going to take them in Montessori. We do something called isolation of difficulty. So you take a complex-
0: Isolation of difficulty. difficulty.
1: Hmm. So you take a- Like learning how to read. Well, where does that start? Where does that start? Mm. You know, if I say, Jacobus, it's time to go outside and play. If you were a little boy, you know exactly what I mean. Yes. But you don't know that, Jacobus, it's time to go outside and play is nine words. I see. You don't know that. Nor do you know that each one of those words is made out of sounds. So we have to step back. Say, okay, we have, in our English language, and I'm in Dutch, you have an alphabet. Yes. Uh, what is an alphabet? An alphabet is a written symbol that represents a sound. So let's first pay attention to the sounds of our language. Okay. So let's say I'm thinking about the word cat. Yes. What are the sounds we hear in cat? K,
0: a, a- t. t- okay. Right.
1: So we can play sound games with children to just bring their attention down to the level of sounds. Mm. And then we can say, okay, this is a table. T-Table this is a microphone, mm, microphone. This is my face, face. This is my nose, mm, nose. You can play games like that to just bring the children's attention to sounds. Yes. Once they're really familiar with sounds, then you can start giving them what we call in Montessori sandpaper letters. They look at the letter, they trace it, they hear the sound. So they're getting multi-sensory. Okay, this letter represents this sound okay i, I get it that's okay. the alphabetic principle mm. and then then montessori in, in the little song it was talking about the movable alphabet yeah, then yeah. we have a box full of letters and the child can build a word at because he knows okay if i want to write cat it's k at he has to make the sounds in his head then he has to know what the k looks like what the at looks like and what the t looks like he picks those letters puts them in a, in a line hey he's written I see. He's written with letters. Maybe he doesn't even hold a pencil yet, but he he understands the process. Mm. So each one of those steps is the isolation of difficulty. So you're taking a big academic skill and you're breaking it into its smallest parts and giving a child something to do for each step. Yeah. So he doesn't have to get lost.
0: Very mm. beautiful.
1: It really is beautiful. Well
0: explained too. Thank you. <laughs> even I understand that. one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I want to go play with my letters now. <laughs> Let's see what a caller has to say. Caller, good morning. Thanks for joining us today. What's your name? How can we help you, please?
3: Well, congratulations,
5: Jacobus.
0: Oh, thank you very much.
3: Um, I'm curious as to whether uh, children raised in the Montessori school setting have difficulty when they move on to college, or if uh, the family moves to a community that does not have Montessori and they have to go into a traditional uh, school setting.
1: That is a great question. And, um, not every child is going to be the same, obviously, but by and large, children who had a good quality Montessori experience love learning and they're obviously going to have to adapt to a new way of doing things. Um, and by and large, I'll have to share you a story of right here in Bozeman at Montana State University. There are a number of the professors here who have told me personally that on the first week of classes, they know who was Montessori children. Really? Yeah. It still shows because even if it was only preschool or elementary, they, they're the students who are engaged and they really like to learn and they're there because they want to learn. And um, so by and large children do pretty well when they adapt. Um, It's always helpful if the Montessori teacher can talk to the teacher and explain what, the child has accomplished and maybe they call it slightly different terms but let's just talk about what the child actually can do and um so by and large the, the and there's been quite a few studies done on that and around the united states and the children do very well
0: huh great stuff
1: thanks for that question thanks bob yeah you're welcome
0: okay see you later bye okay bye, bye age of montessori is the website now you also have a facebook page
1: we also have a facebook page and uh, wanted to also say we do have in addition to our certification courses we've got blogs the facebook post we've got six-week courses for parents Uh on how to teach their child to read how to work with math and basic child development so those are also available Hmm. Okay. Montessori. So
0: Facebook page is Age of Montessori. Uh, yeah. And then uh, yeah. interactive, and people can yeah. uh, like it. Of course, we hope that you like oh, it. Oh We got a
1: lot of likes. You got a lot. Of <laughs> We've got people who post every day for us. So is that gonna, right? Yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah. I better check it out.
1: Yeah, we got an active social yeah. media team because we know, especially with younger younger adults, that's the way we're going to reach them, and the, yeah. they're the ones having babies. Yeah. They need to know. Yes. And our mission is really to uh, to help adults, all adults understand the needs of children better and prepare them to work with their children.
0: The difference is going to be in children from a, uh, if, if you can teach a child at a young age, how to learn this way and they become adults, responsible adults who are not, um, who are better in picking right relationships and therefore do the preparation like Joe was talking about and, um, education starts nine, starts before conception so that you already have that whole baseline covered. That to me is something that, uh, that needs to be addressed as well. Um, that is the new generation we're helping to, to raise up. And I think that is something that Maria Montessori herself was thinking about. I mean, the trouble that you have today was probably not happening then, but every age has its own trouble.
1: Well, she makes the point that, um, a lot of dysfunction in our society is because we do not care for our children in the way they need to be cared for. I think after break, I'd like to talk with you a little bit more about what Montessori called spiritual and mental hygiene.
0: Okay, we'll do that. We're going to take a break and we come back the last half hour. you uh, you said one of the things you want to address is the the hygiene, the spirituality and hygiene is that what you call it?
1: Well, you know Maria Montessori was the first woman physician in Italy and so she took very seriously her medical training and everything that she did and she began to realize that a lot of children came to Montessori schools at three years old and they were already bouncing off walls. they were misbehaved, they were um, out of touch with their own inner, desire of what to do to to develop and she came up with a concept of what she calls normalization and it's simply when a child gets in touch with his inner self and by that being in touch is attracted to those things that developmentally he's ready for and needs mm-hmm. and she believed very much that many of the problems in our civilization are because we are not meeting the mental and spiritual needs of our children, and therefore the essential hygiene, just like washing your hands before surgery, yeah. was a, a preventative measure for physical illness. She believes that there are things that when we do them with our children and meet their needs when they're arising, we are actually acting in concert with the laws of nature, yes. and that there are, she called it mental and spiritual hygiene, and that the that, that absence of those things because we simply don't understand that the child has spiritual needs the child has very distinct periods when he needs certain kinds of input for his mind to function well and you know many people don't realize that she was nominated three times for the nobel peace prize
0: that's unreal
1: it's a- i real- didn't know
0: that until you just told me that mm-hmm. uh, yesterday
1: yeah and wow. she did not, and it was not because she had sweet little schools. It was because she understood that the potential within humans is often, what's the word? It, it's it's crushed by the way that children are educated because education is usually seen as a pouring in, whereas Montessori said, no, it's just the opposite. It's a release from within. Wow. You put children wow. in an environment that meets their needs and allow them to show you who they are. Yeah. Allow them, you know. I, one of my favorite speakers in these current years is Sir Ken Robinson.
0: Yes, I was going to ask you about that because you mentioned any of your notes. Yeah,
1: the element and his whole premise is that you are really in your element, achieving the maximum when you are doing what you do best and that you love most, and that's exactly what children are allowed to do in Montessori. They find these things that, you know, like I had one time we had these beautiful puzzle maps in our classroom Yeah. and there was a period of time in my first, maybe the second year of teaching where about five children just got passionate about doing maps and they wanted to do maps pretty much all day, every day for several weeks. Yeah, And you know, their mothers would say, well, but she's not reading, she's not doing any math. And I had to kind of defend Montessori's position on sensitive periods. I said, well, you know, right now, These children are fascinated. They are learning the names of every country and every continent. They're learning the names of the capital cities of each one of these countries. I said, that interest is going to pass. But while it's here, let's feed it. And then pretty soon the children were done. And Mm. they didn't go back to them for the rest of the year. Mm. But they knew they knew their geography. And so when we uh, can be respectful of children and allow them to do what they want to do at the time when the interest is high, Mm -hmm. we get spectacular results. Mm -hmm. But we're also then looking, okay, this child, by the time he's six, he needs to know this, this, and this. So we're giving group lessons. We're making certain that the children are exposed to those things with the full realization that normal might be a three-year age span. Mm -hmm. You know, not every six-year-old is going to do exactly the same things. Right. But we work very closely and our, our children in Montessori elementary schools, for example, they take standardized tests at the end of each year just like everyone else. Yes. And then gives us feedback. Well wow, we're the children are scoring really high here, but maybe we need to shore up and create some new lessons on this particular thing that they, they don't seem to know very well. So we're always working with the, the uh community and statewide standards, but on the other hand, we're allowing children to express their individuality by their choices.
0: Yes. Yes. You know, that, and I
1: think nutrition is obviously a big part of them being able to function well. A lot of Montessori schools um do only protein snacks. You know, they they actually don't allow parents to send sugar sugar treats because you see, you know, bouncing off the walls after they have yes, sugar. They do. And uh mm-hmm. it's a reality. And mm-hmm. so many Montessori schools have built in uh food preparation and conversations with parents about what what is really going to be good for their children and what is not going to be and what's not going to be allowed to be brought into the classroom. Yes.
0: And I think that is really important. But it's interesting that you mentioned the hygiene. Um, that is indeed a, um, you would say, why, why would teachers have to be involved in that? But they're spending so many hours, six hours a day or so with these yeah. children or more.
1: Yeah. Um, just going to the bathroom, learning be, how to wash your hands, um, maybe having toothbrushes that are in various, you know, carrying cases yeah, for each child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All these things are part of caring for oneself, which is part of practical life. Yeah. So hygiene is is very important, and we we teach the children what we call grace and courtesy, how to cover your mouth when you're sneezing or coughing, how to say excuse me when you want to speak to someone else. I call it creating the Mm ambiance, you know, creating a beautiful mood in the classroom Mm -hmm. of respect Mm -hmm. and the expectation. We're not um, telling the children what to do all the time, but we're showing them how to function. It's like Montessori makes a great case for you're going to teach children how to greet a newcomer in the classroom. But if Mm -hmm. somebody comes to visit, you're not going to insist that they interrupt their work to say hello to that visitor. It's important that they know how to do it, not that you're going to force them to do it. And so we spend a lot of time in our classrooms um, creating the, c- c- the circumstances where children can work uninterrupted for two and a half to three hours. Hmm. And that consolidated work time, you know, if you've ever done an experiment with your kids where you have a saturated solution um, and you stick a string down into it and you watch the crystals form on the string.
0: Yes. No, I've never done it, but I know what you're saying. You know what I'm talking about. Sure. So
1: Montessori said it's a little bit like that with the mind of the child. When they're able to really concentrate on something, Mm -hmm. the crystallization of their understanding and of their actual personality starts to develop. And if you interrupt that, it's like if you shook the glass Mm -hmm. and all the pieces fall apart and it has to start crystallizing again. So Mm -hmm. we're, we have a kind of a policy of, of not interrupting Now, if a child's being foolish and doing something hurtful, you're going to interrupt immediately because you don't want that pattern to become established. But when they're concentrated on something that's constructive, we're leaving them alone. I see. And it's like Montessori says, you have to almost learn how to observe out of the corner of your eye because you know as well as i know any adult that if somebody's staring at you for long periods you can <laughs> the hair stands up on the back yeah, of your neck you, you can yeah, feel it yeah, so yeah. we're respectful of that with our children too mm-hmm. that we, you know if they're working we're noticing and maybe taking notes on what it is they're doing so we can see when they're going to be ready for the next step because all the lessons are in a sequence from simple to hard from uh, like the simplest practical life lesson might be to pour beans from one container to another okay just a few steps sure Then maybe a year, year and a half later, the child can do a lesson where you're showing him how to actually wash an apple, peel it and cut it and serve it maybe 70 steps. And what that's doing is developing what the... neuroscience of today calls executive functions of the brain, where the brain has to perceive there's a job to mm-hmm. be done. It has to problem solve how we're going to do it and put those steps in sequence. And that's exactly what Montessori does. So Montessori is really the only commonly known early childhood program or elementary program that actually really works with the executive functions. Wow. So Very It's powerful. And Montessori didn't know these things by these same terms, but she had such a strong ability to observe and she had so much love in her heart for the children. I I always say that she saw what everybody else had seen, but she saw with the eyes of the heart. And so she was able to astutely understand what she was seeing and build a system of education based on the needs of children, not based on an ivory tower idea of what she thought children should need.
0: I I want to come back to a... um question that david asked earlier about how does montessori adjust to the technological advancements that we have how is something like that incorporated in the school or isn't is it not really because you still need to know basic skills
1: yeah that's really a good question and i think most montessori elementary schools teach keyboarding and children do their research projects for example if i'm going to be knowing that i'm going to do um a unit on ancient rome because that's what the state requires of my third graders or whatever. So we're going to start studying about Rome. And then and st- we don't have no textbooks. So um, I'll present maybe a timeline of civilization in Rome, and then we'll talk with the children. And maybe one child wants to find out, well, how, how what kind of beds did the Romans sleep in? Another one, what kind of food did they eat? Well, how, how, how did the children go to school? So each child then picks the topic that they want mm-hmm. to research. And we teach them how to... A mind map kind of, you know, develop a, a central question and then five questions, four or five questions that they want to answer. And then um, I have them in elementary school. I have them go to um, an encyclopedia, a hardback source, and an okay. online source. Right. So they're learning how to use all these things yes. in the service of their research and their quest for knowledge. And then they can make a presentation. The kids love to make PowerPoint presentations with all the bells and whistles. And then they share their knowledge with everybody. So instead of everybody reading all this boring stuff there each one gets to follow the thread of what excites them mm-hmm. and then they share it with everybody else so all the kids learn all of the information anyway mm-hmm. but it's done in a different way
0: yes i see simple and- basics i mean they're still and i understand what you're saying and they're at a much more pure age let me call it that way to to simply take the information as an a part of the education instead of as adults, we, we, we use it as a way to get out of life, to, to the social media and all that stuff. We just take it to to, to, to clock out, let's call it that way, you <laughs> say check out for a while. Yeah. Well,
1: you know, I've often thought about the difference in a human being who knows that four and four make eight because he's counted two four bars and he knows that four and four make eight, yeah. as opposed to a child who knows Four and four make eight, because the teacher wrote it on the board, and the teacher said it, and the book said it. So really, I think Montessori is fundamentally different in the fact that it constructs knowledge within each child from his own real experience. Mm -hmm. And this is what education really should be, the child exploring and proving to himself. So I know this. I know this because I did it. I don't know it just because you said it.
0: Have we simply gone too fast, too sh- in too short a time um, that the world around us has grown so quickly that we're we're trying to catch up? and we're, we're behind. Where a child has no agenda, right? They they literally learn the basics. And I just listening to you and and from my little bit of understanding about Montessori. It's something that I have lacked in my education. I was indeed one of those students who would sli- literally study the numbers, study the sentences, uh, study the answers that I could possibly, the questions I could probably get. Um, and it, it, uh, you know, you can have like a photographic memory, which is nice. But I see that Montessori. There is something where it clicks, where it starts putting pieces of the puzzle together in the brain. And I see now, as an, as I have gotten older, that I still pick up pieces that I go like, oh, I, now it makes sense to me. Even though I knew it, I know the answer, but I didn't understand the process to get there. Yeah. And I think many of us have no time because we get involved in careers. And that's another thing why I feel with many young parents today uh, they are so in the beginning of their own careers and they even simply, I'm not even talking about getting a boat or getting it out of the house or expensive vacations, simply paying the bills, uh, putting food on the table, uh, taking care of the hygiene, taking care of the house, uh, taking care of family life in general. It, it seems that we go through the motions as as younger the younger people go through the motions but they don't have the education how they could have done it better.
1: And I think there's also, you know, you were talking about just the speed of civilizations. Yeah. I I think um this is a generalization, but I think many people have lost touch with themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, they yeah. have lost touch with their children. And they 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 struggle to put food on the table and to have a life. Yeah. But they're not really um, and I think that that's part of what, what makes Bozeman Bozeman. There are people, more people who go to nutrition stores, more people who have Montessori schools for their children, more people who just say no to TV. Let's go outside and play. Let's, let's go back to nature a little bit. Let's have a more natural, holistic view. And I think that's what Montessori brings. It's really the whole child. Education is help to life. Mm-hmm. it's not just cramming more facts and figures that the child makes no sense out of yeah. the other, el- the elementary program is based on what she calls the cosmic plan. Yeah. And she starts children with a vision of the universe because inside the universe, you can find everything has a place. Yes, it And does. then you look at our, our, our planet and you look at life on our planet we've got plants that make the way to feed the animals that made the way to feed us. And that all of it is, is like an ecosystem that, that, functions together and Mm -hmm. so therefore when we're looking at education all the subjects can work together too when you see the connections yes and it makes learning so much fun and so much more relevant Mm -hmm. and it's it leads to children being more connected with themselves and i think if there's anything that montessori it goes back to what i said that principle of the inner teacher it helps children get anchored to who they are and respecting that i choose to do this lesson not this that's okay. Yeah. I don't have to do it just because the teacher says we're on page 47, problem six through 10, and you have to do those whether you're interested or read the 10 pages for tomorrow. Yes. And um, so I think we've got a long way to go in our educational system. And I think um, right now, for example, there's probably 500 public school systems in the United States that utilize Montessori. Hmm. It's pretty much in every country on the planet at least some Montessori. Hmm. And there are certain governments who are endorsing Montessori as their way to go.
4: Hmm.
1: So it's gaining traction. Um, I invite you all to just pick up. There's a wonderful book out there. It's called Montessori Madness. It's by a gentleman by the name of Trevor Eisler, who's a jet pilot, a dad of three children. And he his understanding of Montessori is very profound. And he writes in a very modern way. It's a really good book.
0: All right, and my book,
1: "Nurturing Your Child's Inner Life," is is another thing that I think really gives a lot of uh, solid examples of how, as parents, you can utilize Montessori as well.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry I didn't uh, promote your books any further. All right, go ahead. So it can be uh, can people get them by going to your website? Amazon.
1: You can get it on our website. Yeah.
0: Okay, ageofmontessori.org. AgeofMontessori.org. As a matter of fact, if you put in com, it still takes you yes, to org. Yes, it still works. <laughs> so <laughs> that's
1: good. We huh. covered the bases. <laughs> yes,
0: you sure did. So that is uh, that's good. Age of Montessori, and also on Facebook, uh, they are available over there as well, uh, as well. And you can get the book by uh, by Mary Ellen uh, Mounts, and that is the the books are called um, Learning to Read in Child's Play. The other book is called "Nurturing Your Child's Inner Self," um, but I I really think that as you read these books, you're going to find out a lot more about yourself as well. I would hope so. Yeah, yeah, that is really uh, really something. Fair about the uh, you mentioned Ken Robinson, Sir Ken Robinson. I've listened to a few of his lectures, and I I don't think I've listened to this one specifically, but it's an incredible. That person is a, that man is an incredible personality. Um, I, I look at him as a stand up comedian. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Not because he's funny. I mean, he may have some funny stories, but there is something about him. He just captivates the audience. There is no, it's almost like dead silence when he is talking. There is something about his way of formulating the sentences, the way he has put the story together. Um, it just grabs you. It's hard. You, you, you look at the time. You go like, I've just been listening for 10, 15 minutes to him. It's very easy to do that. Um If people, so you were talking about the element is what yeah. it's called?
1: And one of his books is called The Element. The Element. And it's all about finding that that point where where your passion and what you do best comes together. Right. And, you know, you, this, you and I were talking at one of the breaks that, you know, We're both lucky enough to be employed in doing what we love. Yes. And for me, and I think for Ken Robinson, that would be the goal of life for everyone, to find a way to walk your talk, that the things you believe in, the things you care about, the things that you're good at, you're able to actually work doing that.
0: Right. But I want to add to that, for me, I've done all kinds of work, and physical work, mental work, um, every job is important. Every job is a piece of the large puzzle yes, it is. of who we are as people. And it doesn't matter. Uh, somebody can find the passion in being a millionaire. Uh, <laughs> somebody can find a passion by being an educator. In my case, somebody can be... Uh, uh, um, uh, I was, When I had my window cleaning business, I truly loved cleaning windows. I just thought it was the most amazing job I could do but when I went to chef school and realized that I was working and cooking for people making them a piece of uh, some food that when they looked at the plate it was just a piece of art that's what I totally enjoyed as well so I don't think it matters we all have done different jobs in our life make sure you enjoy what you do absolutely yeah you find your passion in working and being busy and doing something productive
1: Montessori writes about the indirect preparations for life and I think that Virtually every job we do, as you say, it builds out who we are, and we can find joy in whatever it is that we do.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you for having me, Jacobus. This Let's has do been this really again. A pleasure, absolutely. That's part
0: two coming up, uh, folks. We'll be back next week, Saturday, from eight to eleven. See you then.